Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So as many of you know, my son, John Hunter, it's a double name. That can be confusing at times, but it's not uncommon in Southern culture. It is a family name that combines our grandparents and my name, and then Hunter, he is the sixth generation of Hunter in my family. And so we gave him this sometimes unusual double name. When he was five years old, he was playing soccer for the first time. And I got an email from his coach, it may have been a text, and it said, I'm not sure that your son is tracking with what we are trying to do on the soccer field. Well, I never played soccer. I don't particularly enjoy soccer. I don't know anything about soccer. This wasn't a great loss to me. But I wanted to help him. I wanted him to understand the game. So I went to a practice. And there he is, little guy, out in the middle of the field, I think his shin guards went up to his eyes. And the coach began giving him instruction and talking to him. And he kept saying, John, 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 pay attention. John, do this. John, and John Hunter's just out in the field looking around at the sky, looking at butterflies, kicking the grass. Why? He does not know himself as John. He knows himself, especially when he was five, as John Hunter. And I went up to the coach and I said, hey buddy, here's the problem. His name is John Hunter. And the coach looked at me and he turned around and he said, hey John Hunter, jump in line for this drill. And off he took, running, in line to perform the drill. And I was thinking about that that illustration this week as I was wrestling with the rest of Zechariah 13. And the fact that God calls us His people. That He is not confused about our name at all. That He knows us And He loves us, and that in the last days, in the final days, when the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness, He will say, ultimately and finally, you are my people. And until that day comes, when we see Him in glory, He will say, welcome Forevermore, my people. God knows us. He knows our name. And Zechariah 13 is saying that He is bringing salvation. He is bringing the kingdom. He is bringing an end to sin. He is bringing an end to our rebellious ways so that He can call us tenderly, affectionately. By name. So there are 
three things that I want us to examine this morning as we finish this chapter. God's desire for renewal, God's desire for truth, and God's desire for us. If you weren't here last week, we spent the entire message on verse 1. God tells us that there is a fountain, and the fountain is overflowing, and this fountain offers God's people purification from sin. I'm not going to go into great detail about this, but we learned last week that in chapter 11 and chapter 12, that is the piercing of the one who is close to God that will cause the outpouring of His Spirit, that will bring about this unending fountain of abundant life. And we should be grateful and we should be thankful. Because we are allowed to drink from that fountain at any time. And so we come to verse 2. And here in this, this verse you see three things removed from the land. I will cut off the idols, I will remove the prophets, and the spirit of uncleanliness. So here's what God is saying. In the final days, now we understand the final days as representing the time period from the ascension of Jesus into heaven until now and until He comes again. That we are in the final days. And so, as I've mentioned in the past, but there is a already not yet component to this. We are in the final days, and the kingdom is here, but we have not reached the final day, and the kingdom is not here in all its fullness. And so what the Lord is saying through the prophet Zechariah, when, the, when you will prophets, and I am going to remove idols, prophets, and uncleanliness. Now if you think about it, the idols represent false worship, the prophets represent false teaching, and the spirit of uncleanliness represents false living. When shalom descends on the heavens and the new earth, when we stand in the presence of God in perfection forevermore, we will no longer be afflicted, tempted, bothered by false worship, false teaching, and false living. Forevermore, worship will be perfect and pure. Forevermore, teaching will be true. We will not be led astray. And forevermore, we will live like Jesus. God is saying, I am going to do this for you. This is who I am as your king. This is who I am as your God. This is how gracious and loving and merciful I am as your Father. I am going to ultimately and finally take care of this for my people. What do we take from this? Well, one of the themes that we have mentioned numerous times throughout this study of Zechariah 
is the need for spiritual renewal. Zechariah is saying to the people of Israel, ultimately, God will accomplish spiritual renewal. He will do it himself. But it begs the question for us in the here and now. What should our concern be? We know the promise of the future. We understand what God is saying will take place in that final day. But in the here and now, this is something that we as God's people should be concerned about. Worship, His Word, and living. It's not something that's entirely in the future. It's something that's also present. That is God's people who belong to Jesus, who have, who have come to that fountain. We should have a love for true worship. We should have a longing to worship God day in, day out. We should desire to run to this place on the Lord's day, to enter into His presence, and to offer our hearts to Him sincerely and promptly. Worship. True, Christ-honoring worship. For today and for tomorrow. False teaching. We should have a desire for the truth of God's Word. Not only do I want to worship the Lord, not only do I want to bend my knee to Him, but I am captivated by His Word because His Word is truth. I am captivated by the Word of God because I know that it is my Father in Heaven speaking to me. That this should be a central part of my life. It should be a part of my DNA. That it is the boundaries, that it is the guardrails for my life. That I go to it over and over and over again. Not only so that I will know the falsities that this world bombards us with on a daily basis, but so that I will also know how to live for Him. As our catechism says, it is the only rule for faith and life. So God has said He is going to remove false worship. He is going to remove false teaching. He is going to remove false living. Ultimately, we will be able to live in perfection without sin, pleasing and honoring Christ for eternity. But now, in the present, we should also be aware of uncleanliness. The sin that surrounds us. The darkness that often invades our heart. And we have the promise of that fountain. We can go to that fountain and we can drink from it. Indeed, we can play in it. I was not a... Friends, the television show was not my favorite 
but I do remember the opening scene where they're playing in that large fountain and they're splashing around and they're singing and they're dancing. And I remember the day that we're walking through a park in New York and I saw that fountain. And so Jesus wants us to live for Him. Jesus wants to live holy lives. He wants us to go to that fountain and to dance and to sing and to splash in it, to to embrace the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that He offers us through those waters. They're ours. And so we're called to live for Him now. And ultimately we will be able we will be made able to live for Him in perfection. But notice this, just as a good reminder, as you look at the text, this spiritual renewal that we see, the spiritual renewal that we are promised because of the victory of Christ in the final day, God does all of it. Beginning in verse 9, excuse me, beginning in chapter 9 to now, God is telling us over and over and over again, this is what I am going to do for you. This is what I'm going to accomplish for my people. Don't lose sight of that. As you come to Him in worship, as you come to His Word, as you seek to live for Him by the power of the Holy Spirit, never lose sight of the fact that He does it all. That He is the one that accomplishes this. That He is sovereign over your life and over your spirit. And that we are nothing apart from what He is. We are nothing apart from who He is and what He has done. Verses 3 through 6, a challenging part of this passage. So we have discussed God's desire for renewal. This is God's desire for truth. And what we see is that when that final day comes, God's word will be absolute. False teaching will no longer be permitted. God's people will no longer be led astray by false prophets and false teaching. And so we see, metaphorically speaking, this child who is pierced. And that is disturbing. And at first, I wasn't sure what to do with that when I read it. And the prophet and this prophecy is not meant to be taken literal. It's metaphorical. And what God is saying through Zechariah in this passage is, my word is so serious, and my word is so important, that I am going to take an illustration that grabs your attention in terms of severity to help you understand what false teaching means to me and how significant the truth of my word is. Truth matters to God. That's what he's saying. 
truth matters to God. The truth of his word. Because it is how we hear him speak. It is how we come to salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of what? God. And so God is saying through Zechariah, I don't want you to mess around with untruth. I don't want you to mess around with falsities. I don't want you to mess around with these prophets who are leading you in the wrong direction. I want you focused on my word. Because my word will save your soul. My word will bring you to the fountain that you can drink from forever and ever. Truth matters. And as I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but to reflect on Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That Jesus helps us understand on a deeper level what God means when He says in Zechariah 13 that truth matters. It brings us to this carpenter from Nazareth. The Word of God that has come in the flesh. And so if the Word matters, Jesus matters. And it's a call to God's people to run to Him. To surrender to Him. To live for Him. And to give your life over to His teachings. Because as we've seen from the urgency of Zechariah 11 and Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 13. We don't know when that final day will be. And we certainly want to be found in that fountain. Most certainly. Truth matters. Jesus matters. Then finally, as you look at verses 7 through 9, God's desire is for us. God desires His people. Now this is, this is staggering to examine. I'm going to explain that to you hopefully. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, this is verse 7, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Against my shepherd. Against the man who, what? Stands next to me. My shepherd who, stand next, who stands next to me. To me. Who is this? Who can this be? If we think about the entirety of Zechariah thus far, he can only be one person. And that's Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. I will read the passage for you. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. This is the shepherd. 
This is the king. There's no one else that it can be in Zechariah. It is the branch. It is the king upon the donkey. It is the shepherd who will be struck. He is close to God. This shepherd, according to this passage, will have to suffer to atone for the sins of God's people. This shepherd does causes will suffer because we have seen earlier God will suffer because of this. God is doing something grand and incomprehensible to save His people. Now Trinity, know this. We have talked repeatedly that the Old Testament is an unfolding message of redemption. As the Old Testament progresses, God is allowing Israel, His people, to understand more and more what He plans to do. So when we come to this chapter and we come to this verse, remember that this is 500 years before Jesus of Nazareth begins His ministry. And God is laying out for them the gospel. Here's the good news. I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to give you a fountain of grace. I'm going to bring you final victory over your enemies. Your king will come to you. And he will be a shepherd that doesn't deserve to be struck. But I will strike him so that he can atone for your sins. The gospel. And there it is. Five hundred years before the cross. To me, that is unbelievable. And because of Jesus, because He will ride into Jerusalem on that donkey, because He is our conquering King, the end of Zechariah 13, which to me is just profound, because of that, because God will strike him. Because God is going to orchestrate it. We will be able to call out to him. There will be troubles. There will be difficulties in the final days. We will be refined like gold and silver. But God has a purpose. He has a plan. He has a reason for it. He knows what he is doing. And because of Jesus, we will say the Lord is my God over and over and over and forever. Trinity, say it with me this morning. The Lord is my God. Say it. Take that to heart. Let that be an encouragement to you. Let's pray. Our God and our King, we thank you that we can hear from you and your word, and that you are bringing all things together for your glory, for our good, so that we may dwell with you forever in the presence of Christ our King, the one who has come for his people, the one who is the fountain of grace, the shepherd that has been struck, the shepherd who atones for our sins. You are our God, 
and we are your people. Amen.